Cox for Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye. Send it to him at area code 702-727-8499. 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, here again is Art. Once again, here I am coming up in a moment. Uh, Lauren Coleman, who is one of the world's leading cryptozoologists. Animal guys. I'll tell you more about them shortly. Uh, so that is uh, straight ahead, and that will probably be the central topic for tonight. It's a good one, too, because I've got an awful lot of questions about what animals in general have been doing lately, and a lot of stories, too, the latest out of India. Animals attacking people, turning on people. I remember a movie I saw once. I'll never remember the name of it. Please don't fax it to me. It doesn't matter. Cats went berserk, latched onto the faces of their owners. Dogs... Um, biting the butts of the ones who have loved and cared and fed them and that sort of thing. Goldfish jumping out and, oh, you don't want to know what they did. Anyway, uh, maybe it was Day of the Animals, Attack of the Animals, something like that. But there's something strange out there going on. There's no question about it. And we'll talk about uh, Bigfoot. Very credible stuff with regard to Yeti or Bigfoot. And many of the other mythological, question mark, animals that we talk about. Um, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. News-wise, there's not much except Iraq, where we are not going in to inspect what we forced. And so they're probably, you know, moving the crates out as fast as they can. I'm, I'm not sure what we've won over there. Um, there was a definite reaction from the good people at Nightline. At ABC, they sent me a fax tonight. Nightline sent me a fax. In fact, I had it posted on the website. It says, Dear Mr. Bell, we're impressed with the responsiveness of your listeners. They have successfully tied up our fax machine and heard our ability to send faxes within ABC News. Please don't put our fax number on the air. If your listeners are anxious to be in touch with us, please have them write to us at ABC News Nightline. 1717 DeSales Street, D-E-S-A-L-E-S, DeSales, I guess. That's uh, DeSales Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20036. Thanks for your understanding. Sincerely, the Nightline staff. <laughs> so, um, I guess they noticed. All right, uh, we're going to plunge right into the world of animals in a moment. Ab as I said, he is one of the world's leading cryptozoologists, an honorary member of several international cryptozoological organizations. He is a life member of the International Society of Cryptozoology. Coleman has written books and more than a hundred articles on the subject, has appeared frequently on radio and TV programs, has lectured from Idaho to London, has been on both, uh, both on and off camera, consultant to NBC's Unsolved Mysteries, Annie's Ancient Mysteries and In Search of Discovery Channels in the Unknown and other reality-based programs, underlying reality. He contributes a bi-monthly cryptozoology column on the trail to the London-based international magazine uh, 14 Times and Mysterious World to Fate on October uh, 20th, 1997, occasion of the 30th anniversary of the famous filming of the California Sasquatch. Lauren Coleman was one of the first ten inductees 
into the new Roger Patterson M Memorial Bigfoot Museum in Portland, Oregon. Coleman has been investigating in the field and in the library cryptozoological evidence and folklore since the Yeti caught his interest in 1960, which led him, I guess, to research mysterious panther sightings, reports of apes in the American Midwest, other than the ones that uh, can be seen, for example, on the streets of some major Midwest cities. He's traveled to 45 states throughout Canada, Mexico, and the Virgin Islands, interviewing witnesses of lake monsters, Sasquatch, giant snakes, mystery feline phantom kangaroo, uh, 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 phantom kangaroos, really? A thunderbird and other creature reports and folklore. His first articles published in 1969, then he went on to write two books with Jerome Clark, The Unidentified and Creatures of the Outer Edge. Oh, this is my kind of guy, I can tell. Lauren Coleman has a forthcoming book, April of 99, on the international situation regarding Bigfoot and related humanoids, and a journal, The Cryptozoologist, slated for publication at the end of 98. So, um, I could go on and on and on. Um, he has uh, many, many, many years of study, academic uh, and investigative work in the field, uh, to his credit has been all over the media. Here is Lauren Coleman. Lauren, welcome to the program. Good morning, Art. Great to have you. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while, and I'm probably going to start out with a an area that, uh, uh, that, that I'm not sure you're comfortable with, but uh, th there are two things. One, we have been getting all these incredible reports, Lauren, of dolphins and whales and other mammal uh, sea creatures literally uh, running out of the sea, uh, mm -hmm. as if they were being chased out by something. And there's been too much of it lately. Uh, now I get a story tonight uh, from Honolulu that a Navy ship is set to begin blasting high-volume sounds intentionally at humpback whales, even after a federal judge re rejected environmentalist complaints. They're going to let the Navy go ahead. Now, this just doesn't seem like a brilliant idea to me. Well, I think that... Um I heard you say something about animals attacking people and uh, you know dolphins right. beaching and yep. all of that. Um, of course, really involves. Without people there, you wouldn't know that was happening. So we know that for hundreds and hundreds of years, these kinds of things have been happening. Um, I think the involvement in humans sending sonic beams into water is probably not the greatest idea. But I've noticed. Uh, you know, over the years, if you stand back a little, a lot of it can be related to the weather. A lot of it can be related to the temperature of the water. The environment. The environment. Uh, and, of course, humans are part of the environment. So if they're burning up all the, the forest in Indonesia, then you're going to get more animals coming out of the uh, jungle attacking people or orangutans being or, shot. Or, or monkeys in Japan attacking right. people. We've got reports of... Now, this is really a strange one, Lauren. Um, mountain lions beginning to stalk hunters. What would you say about that? Well, I've noticed the whole situation in the West has really um, been pretty dramatic lately because humans are getting deeper into wilderness areas where they were not before. So you have joggers being attacked, hunters being attacked, and it's mainly because man is the encroacher there. 
It's not the mountain lions are coming out. It's that uh, we're going deeper into wilderness areas that we, um, you know, weren't building houses on the edges of, um, you know, wetlands and, and different sure. things like that. So well, it's, so it's, in other words, you, you think uh, it, it may be us. It may be environmental. Yeah. But I, it's, it's not uh, the animals suddenly turning against their owners. Cats are not going to be leaping on old ladies' faces or anything. No, I think people forget. I mean, I remember during the mid-'70s where uh, there was quite a few different people looking at different animal attacks and relating them to actually the phases of the moon. And we have a big solar eclipse tomorrow and, you know, a new moon, so maybe we'll have more animal attacks if you believe in that theory. But, you know, these kinds of things have been happening for years and years and years. It's just that when they come in waves and they do seem to clump, uh, yes. then people think, well, my God, this is all new. And uh, maybe that's not quite exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, you have researched for years and years and years uh, Bigfoot. Yep. Uh, Bigfoot is one of my all-time favorite topics. Lauren, in your professional opinion, is Bigfoot real or the figment of our overactive imaginations? No, I think there's actually uh, creatures in the Pacific Northwest that are unidentified primates. And uh, I have... You know, I think there's a lot of hoaxing and there's a lot of misidentification in different parts of the rest of the United States, but in the Pacific Northwest, there's a creature that's anywhere between six to nine feet tall that's bipedal that leaves behind footprints with five toes. Um, you know, giant footprints, that's why they call it Bigfoot, and, and before that, um, up in Canada, it was called Sasquatch, and still is. Well, shouldn't we have more than footprints? I, I, I mean, I've seen... Um, there, as you point out, there's been a lot of hoaxing, and people walk around on stilts creating giant footprints and that kind of thing. Um, how do you um, delineate between the hoax and the real thing? Well, hoaxers forget that people that really know footprints well, which we're talking a lot about some police investigators, forensic scientists, and, and different folks like that, as well as anthropologists and primatologists, the footprint leaves specific cracks and marks that are very, um, very related to it being an animate, you know, object. Not, uh, not easily reproducible. Not faked. So if you have a person that has a, a static, you know, either a piece of concrete that's shaped like a big footprint or, um, you know, like the wooden things you were talking about, those show up as really much more, um, you know, they're, they're obvious fakes, and people can tell them. And and also, where they show up, and of course, who's finding them, how credible are the witnesses. There's all kinds of different forensic investigative techniques that we use, and as well as psychological ones, to see who these folks are. Well, Lauren, if we have footprints, why has uh, nobody yet shot one of these things? Well, people have shot them, but people... Uh, there's. John Green and some of my other investigative friends have found over the years that there's probably upwards of uh, four or five good stories from the Pacific Northwest of people shooting them, but they shoot them and then they get very freaked out and scared that, well, I, I've shot something that's maybe a man, maybe oh, man-like. Oh, Lauren, I, I guess I've got to tell you my story. I, I had a man on my program. He spent several hours on the air, actually, because I was so amazed, and um, and I believed his story. He came upon two Yeti in a uh, densely um, 
populated uh, area, not uh, with humans, but uh, with vegetation, low vegetation. And Yeti as in Asia? Uh, as in Big, Bigfoot. Bigfoot, okay. And he shot two of them. Mm-hmm. Two of them. And he went through the long explanation on the air. It was an amazingly lucid st- story, and he buried them. Uh-huh. He, what happened is he did exactly as you just said. He freaked out, and he and his friend said, look, um, this is bad news. You know, we're liable to be charged with murder. Even though when he went up and looked at this creature, it was as a Bigfoot looks, but it had rather humanoid features to it, the two of them, a male and a female. Right. And he was prepared to take me to the site and dig these things up, Lauren. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the night, my audience had so freaked him out that he just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, he, he was scared to death, and he thought he'd be charged with murder. And frankly, I couldn't tell him he wouldn't. Right. Well, you know the famous case of the Minnesota Iceman, where Frank Hansen had this, uh, in 1968, um, you know, a carnival or a shopping center exhibit of a, a man frozen in ice, a, a, you know, like a Bigfoot-type creature. Oh, yes. And uh, he said that there was a mysterious owner, a millionaire who was behind it, Right, and it was when they he crossed back and forth into Canada that the Smithsonian told the FBI to investigate it, and they replaced the real body with a fake that they had constructed in Hollywood, and it's those kinds of things. Even when the body is perhaps, you know, so in other words, cured. They 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 took this guy into custody, Lauren, and uh, uh, melted the ice and found a, a fake body. No, 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 no. They, the FBI, when they got involved, Frank Hansen said apparently in the middle of the night he switched the body, so the the local police department, and the FBI, oh, you know, became disinterested because they saw that this was you know a fake. And before that, when Ivan uh-huh. Sanderson and Bernard Heuvelmans had <laughs> showed up and taken pictures and smelled the rotting flesh, uh, we knew that it was a, a much more real. So the whole idea that there are no bodies, that there have not been any bodies that uh, that those you know there's no hair samples or things like that it's just it's just not true but we're still really at the beginning of the stages of looking at Bigfoot if you look at the uh, the securing of mountain gorillas it took over 60 years to come up with a mountain gorilla after expedition after expedition went to Africa specifically looking for mountain gorillas mm. well the modern era of Bigfoot really started in 1958, so we're still at the beginning stages. But, you know, for Americans who are, everything they have to get right away, it's, you know, fast food thinking. Sure. How much really good evidence is there that they exist? They are, there are footprints. You, you just told us a story. It sounded pretty good. Yeah. Um, but what else exists? A fur? Has there been fur tested that is anomalous? There's been fur that is been said to be unknown primate, uh, near human, and, uh, you know, hair samples all the way from China or Nepal, you know, for those kinds, for the Yeti and the Yaren and the wild men, and some of the samples from uh, Ohio of what's called the grass man there. There's a new book called Bigfoot in Ohio that's really good. And, the, and gra- the grass man? The grass man. That's just a local name. You can go to almost any uh, state. Uh, and if there's enough reports, you have a, a local name. Uh, okay, what do we what do we know? What do we know about Bigfoot? Is Bigfoot nocturnal? Is Bigfoot um, 
What do we know? Well, I think you've got several things going on here. Bigfoot is a generic term that's used too loosely for what I think are many different kinds of creatures, unknown primates. Right. But if we're talking specifically about the Pacific Northwest Bigfoot, we know that it's man-like, it's bipedal, it probably uh, builds nests, it is mostly nocturnal, although uh, obviously you have witness accounts that are at the beginning and end of the the Bigfoot day. You say it builds nests? Yes, yes. Very similar to to what we're finding among gorillas. You know, there's been... They use vacant buildings. They, uh, you know, it's not... They don't use caves as much as some other types of animals, but they there has been incidents where uh, different beds and different kind of nesting structures have been found in the Ooh. Pacific Northwest and British Columbia. Very interesting. Listen, I'm, I'm short of commercials. Sure. So Bigfoot makes nests, huh? That's they really do. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's. you were asking for different kinds of evidence, and that's one of them. You know, the footprints is another, the hair samples. Have you found a nest? I have not personally found a nest. I've talked to and interviewed various people that have. Uh, I've found footprints. I've heard screeches, I've smelled smells, you know, so I've I've been that close. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that have had very close encounters. Oh, yes, I know. Uh, you say you have heard Bigfoot, huh? I've heard a screeching-type sound that could be a Bigfoot or it could have been uh, a type of bird. You know, I, I did not see the creature. I was in the area investigating specific reports of creatures that had made those sounds and people had seen them when they'd made those sounds. So Okay. Uh, well, I've got something that I want you to hear. Here it is. that sound, Lauren? Is that, is that the Alan Berry cape? You or know what? The, I, I'm not exactly sure. That that came actually from uh, Linda Moulton Howe, and uh -huh. it was represented to be the real thing, uh, taped by some hunters. Right. I'm... Let me say, I want to reserve judgment on that one. I've heard some stories about how that might have come about uh, with various manipulations, so I'm, I'm still... Uh, up in the air about the reality of that. But don't they say that about everything? For example, the, sure. the, even the the best evidence uh, there is said to be the videotape, the Patterson tape. There's a lot of people calling that a hoax now. Yep, there there have been, and unfortunately, uh, uh, last October on the 30th anniversary, there was this whole story about that uh, a guy named John Chambers in Hollywood had produced it, and that's right. Uh, John Landis knew all about that. Well. A woman named Bobby Short, a great investigator in Southern California, went out and did an interview with John Chambers. And John Chambers, who had won an Academy Award for doing the makeup for Planet of the Apes, told her that uh, he let that story go on for years because it was actually a wonderful publicity within the Hollywood community for him to act yeah. like he was yeah. responsible oh, no for it. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. So, and that's now been published. I published it in England. And she's a published it in the newsletter of the North American uh, Science uh, Institute. Which I, ta I, take it then, I take it then that you feel the Patterson tape is legit. Oh, I do. I think it's a, 
You know, and you have to start with films. You have to start with the, the people that took them. And I think uh, Roger and Bob are quite credible people. Uh, Roger Patterson's dead now, but Bob Gimlin's still alive. And I've, I've read interviews and I've seen tapes and I've talked to people that know him really well. And, uh, you know, I've talked to uh, quite a few people about those two gentlemen over the years. And, and that's where I start psychologically looking at the witnesses. Did they have anything? You know, was there anything in it for them? And uh, Roger Patterson was passionate about Bigfoot. He went out there looking for Bigfoot, and he, he found it. And once he found it, then uh, nobody believed him. So it was <laughs> a sad story. Yeah, there are a lot of people who would say, look, any investigator going out with a camera actually looking for a Bigfoot, uh, what are the odds of that really happening unless uh, he had some something else in mind, and because he was actually looking for Bigfoot, it hurts his case when he comes back with the video. Isn't that strange? <laughs> right. I mean, if a scientist goes out looking for a giant squid and finds one, then he's then it's called okay. a success. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, the obvious, Another obvious question is, what is Bigfoot? What in the world... Uh, if this animal exists, mammal, what is it? Well, there's two major schools of thought. Grover Krantz, who's a anthropologist at uh, in um, you know out west, and has been talking about Bigfoot and wrote a book uh, about Bigfoot, ha- believes that it's Gigantopithecus blackie, which is a a giant ape that may be you know seven, eight, ten feet tall. Uh, fossil finds really only exist in India and China and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, four jawbones and about a thousand teeth. So nobody knows the real structure of this animal, but anthropologists have speculated that it's a theory because it's really the only big primate that uh, that seems to be around that fits that. But, okay, okay, but does it? You said giant ape, but does it? Uh, does it seem to have? Uh, human uh, characteristics with regard to consciousness, um, plotting thought. It, it would seem to have all those characteristics um, more like a human than uh, than a, an animal, an ape. Well, that's why I and a few other cryptozoologists believe that it's Paranthropus robustus, which is an Australopithecine type. Uh, Boy, are you getting ahead of me. Right. <laughs> Anyway, this is another, it's closer to being a human. Uh, it's found all over Asia and Africa. These creatures were much more bipedal, much more upright, and seem to be closer in terms of the behaviors as well as the structure that we find in Bigfoot. Because, like you're saying, Bigfoot seems to be a very intelligent animal, a very intelligent primate. One of the reasons that they're able to stay alive for so long is that... Uh, it has coming. Yeah, they have cunning, they hide. Uh, All right. Um, I'm told uh, by scientists that um, human DNA and ape DNA uh, probably don't have more than uh, a 1% difference or something like Isn't that yeah, right? Yeah, it's 97% chimpanzee. Oh, okay, so 3% then. Right, right. Now, uh, presumably, the creature we're talking about right now would would have even would have DNA that would exhibit even closer characteristics to maybe I'm sticking my neck out here maybe that's all wrong maybe there could be a intelligence uh, without that uh, additional DNA what do you say 
Yeah, I think that that's one of the problems that when you have a piece of DNA and you take it in the lab and you have a lab come back and saying, well, um, this isn't human, but it's almost human, So we and yet we don't have a creature to base the sample on, so we don't know what it is. That doesn't tell us anything. Mm. And, I mean, Grover Krantz, there's this big debate out west, which you may have heard through your show over the years, is, you know, do we kill it or do we just go photograph it? Well, I think he wanted, uh, what he said was, I believe, that the first Bigfoot should be killed and then there should be the death penalty for anybody who would kill one after that. Right. But he wants one body. Because he feels that's the only way it can be proved. And he may be right. I mean... I live in Maine, and I, I think someday a lumber truck is going to kill one of them. So. Well, that, that could be. But if you had um, a Bigfoot in your sights with the .30-06, could you, would you pull the trigger? Well, I'm not a hunter, and I don't own a gun, so I wouldn't Well, that, that doesn't that. matter. I can still put you out there in the woods with a gun. <laughs> and If you were out there... No, I'm, I'm much more in the telebiology school, where I think that I, I don't want to get in the way of Grover Krantz and those folks that want to do that, but I'm much more photography. I think there's ways to take DNA samples with, uh, you know, tranquilize it, keep it in captivity a little bit, uh, uh-huh. take samples, bring in, fly in some of the best anthropologists and zoologists in the world, make sure that it's so verifiable, and then make a sanctuary for part of the wilderness that it's in and the death penalty or whatever. But I think there's other ways short of killing them. Because we don't really know what they are. We don't know how close to homo they are, homo sapiens. Sure. Okay, so then if you wouldn't pull the trigger and you wouldn't even have a gun... I'd pull a trigger on a tranquilizer gun, okay? I'll go that I've, way. I've got, I've got you. All right. What then, uh, assuming you were just out in the woods, what would you do? I, yeah, I would hopefully have some photographic equipment. So I'd want to take pictures. I'd want to notice. I'd want to be very quiet. I wouldn't want to approach it. I'd want to become part of the environment. And I think that what often happens when Bigfoots are encountered is that people run away. They're scared, uh, frightened, and they leave behind lots of evidence, you know, mm-hmm. where the footprints are or hair samples or whatever. And they come back and all they have is a sighting. And then immediately the ridicule factor gets thrown at them. Oh, I would bet you about only 10% of the people who ever even see a B- Bigfoot uh, reported to anybody at all. Right. And I mean, even, it's more than you know, uh, yeah. this, this ridicule factor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I work in academia, and I, uh, I'm very careful about who I talk about my 40 years of interest in Bigfoot uh, because it's all around us. Uh, and that's you, one of the reasons they haven't been found is because if, if you can't convince people to look, they won't see. Do you take a lot of heat? Oh, of course. Yeah, sure. Um. Bigfoot is uh, by no means the only creature that you have investigated. You've looked at quite a few, haven't you? Um, and one that you didn't list here, but that I found uh, eternally interesting, is the chupacabra. Chupacabra, sure. Yeah. Now, look, um, people, again, ridicule and joke, but, gee, Lauren, there have been um, endless reports, beginning in Puerto Rico, then South America, then Mexico, even the southwest U.S., of goats with uh, all the blood removed from them, two bite necks on the on the uh, the neck, and not only goats but other animals and even some humans. And I'll tell you, Lauren, in Mexico, they don't laugh about uh, chupacabra. Oh, I know. I have friends in Brazil. They don't laugh. 
No. Chupacabra is taken very seriously. And I think that, um, you know, because it's been in the Hispanic Latino community, uh, people have only now beginning to, you know, realize that it's a very, very widespread phenomenon. And it's been there quite a few years. And it's only recently. What I, in my book, uh, Curious Encounters, I talked about things that I called creatures of the Black Lagoon, which witnesses said look like the Gill Man, look like reptilian creatures with spikes in its head. Yes. And very chupacabra-like. And we've had these reports for, you know, decades. And it's just when a, you know, some, some great newspaper journalist in Puerto Rico started putting it all together that I think, uh, you've got now what's a phenomena. Well, we don't have a, I, you know, nothing that I trust as being real as a photograph of the chupacabra, though there are some pretty strange ones. I've got a couple really strange ones on my website. Uh-huh. Uh, one you that got was, that great song, too. I, oh, I do. Uh, <laughs> I do. And that, uh, but there is a creature that was killed by, you know, a car or a truck mm-hmm. on the side of the road. I don't know whether you've seen that one on the website. It uh, is reputed to be possibly a chupacabra. Whatever a chupacabra is, we don't have... I may concede we don't have a photograph of one, but we've got a gazillion photographs of its victims. Right. And there, there I, I think that you sometimes have problems with it. I've seen the footprints from... Uh, footprints of the chupacabra, supposedly, from Miami. They look very much like... Uh, a big cat or a dog. The three claws. Well, the, that's not the... Yeah, the three claws is different, and I've, I've heard about those. I've seen drawings of those, but the plaster cast that I have actually of the, the supposed um, animal that mutilated something like, you know, 46 chickens. You have a plaster cast? Of a chupacabra, supposedly. You but, do? Yeah. Where did you get that? Oh, um, from a researcher from another investigator in Miami. Oh, Lauren. Um, it, and I believe it's available through one of those websites, the Chupacabra websites. Um, if you could give me an address, I would very much like to get a link up to that and see sure, it. Well, I'll email it to you, okay? All right. All right. Uh, and I'd be, uh, yeah, I really want a photograph of that. Uh, do you happen to have any photographs yourself um, of this uh, cast? Oh, yeah, I can take those real quickly. Oh, I would really appreciate your sending me one. I, I can scan it, get it in. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I'm so fascinated by this. Chupacabra, I think, by the way, uh, a lot of people talk about it in terms of aliens, in terms of reptilian things, but if you talk to the people that have seen Chupacabra, if you read some of the reports, here again you have a bipedal uh, creature that is covered with hair. Right, that's correct. And that is a primate. So we're, once again, it's almost like a relative Bigfoot, if you want to say that, but it's, we're, we're once again in the primate area and not in the reptile area. And I think a lot of people think that chupacabras are some kind of smooth-skinned reptilian alien. But um, Oh, no. No, they're hairy. Right, they're hairy. And ugly. <laughs> I mean, by our standards, but, I guess. And I nocturnal. Bet. Nocturnal, which most primates that are nocturnal have rather large eyes. Uh, now, I'm, I'm curious. You're a cryptozoologist, one of the most famous. When, when I say a chupacabra is ugly, what representations I have seen of it, 
Yeah, I don't I think get, any it, animals are ugly. But I had a feeling you might feel that way. <laughs> so even 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 a chupacabra at its fang fangiest worst uh, really is a, a thing to behold for you. Yeah, I, I really like animals. So I mean, sharks are not scary, and no, no. I mean, they're scary if you don't understand them. But we go into their environment, so uh, we're going into the environments of chupacabras and Bigfoot. So. Tell me, about, tell me about, tell me about, I've always wondered, I've seen these photographs on television of these uh, maniacal people who go down in these shark cages, and usually a shark comes and hits the cage hard enough to either rattle it open and eat the guy or girl, and or bend the cage in a way that's really frightening. I mean, how could you, do you, yeah, go, well, do you go down in those cages? There was a great show on tonight. On uh, National Geographic did a show called Sea Monsters, The Search for the Giant Squid. Yes, sir. And Clyde Roper is doing the same thing. He was going down in one of those, mm. you know, things, and in comes a, it wasn't a real giant, it wasn't the classic giant squid, but it was just a humble six, seven foot long squid, and it gets in the cage with him and bites him on the leg. So, really? Yeah. And, it, you know, it's you wonder, you wonder, but... You know, we all go after these things and occasionally get bit. Um, yeah, that'd be bad. Actually, I, guess, I suppose in a way he's he's essentially locked in the cage. Well, no, it had an open top, but uh, the thing got in there anyway. Yeah. No, thank you. But I mean, <laughs> have you gone down and uh, in a cage yourself, or have you gone down and spent time with sharks just with scuba gear, or what? No, no, I, I was no, I haven't done any of that with uh, the watery creatures. I've you know, done the, the whole snorkeling bit and run into barracuda and stuff like that, but I haven't encountered sharks. Mm -hmm. um, you also mentioned something about a phantom kangaroo? Yeah, I think, uh, well, since about the 1890s, I've been able to track it back. Americans have been reporting kangaroos, and uh, the, big, uh, the biggest flap that occurred happened in Chicago starting in about, you know, in the 70s when two police officers came around the corner and they saw a kangaroo in an alley and it no. started punching them. Punching and so them. for the next two weeks, all across northern Illinois and into Indiana, you had very credible witnesses seeing kangaroos hopping across their yards, leaving three-toed footprints. Really? And uh, mirroring in many ways the early chupacabra reports so i have used the the collective name mystery kangaroos or phantom kangaroos because that's what the witnesses were calling them is that what you call a chupacabra or do you deliver no i it? think chupacabras are are something entirely else you know chupacabras are chupacabras but i, I think that there's a emerging line between some of these things that people are calling kangaroos which i think may be more primate related uh -huh. and my my book uh, that's coming out in a whole year and a half, which is already written and with the publisher, but sometimes publishers sit on books. Sometimes. <laughs> really talks about the whole idea that uh, that these kangaroos, as people are calling them, are really probably some form of primate. Hmm. And um, people will, will recognize what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, we're going to break here at the top of the hour. But when we come back, what I want to ask you about is... Um, the, the source of these creatures, in other words, have they been around for a long, long time and they have simply successfully hidden from us? Is there the possibility 
that some of these creatures, whatever they are, are new because uh, there are new creatures that appear on the earth from time to time, right? Supposed to be, if evolution is as it is described. So they might be new, or, of course, there is a third possibility. They might be from elsewhere. Lauren Coleman, a uh, world-famous cryptozoologist, is our guest, and we will be back. This is Coast to Coast AM. Most famous cryptozoologists. We're talking about uh, Bigfoot, uh, Nessie, kangaroos that are not exactly kangaroos, uh, um, the chupacabra. We're talking of many things. Uh, this man is a scientist. He has... Uh, consulted for just about every major television program that you can imagine that deals with this sort of thing. He has been studying these animals for probably about, oh, I don't know, nine to 40 years. Traveled to 45 states, the Virgin Islands, Canada, Mexico, all over the place in search of. And so that's what we're talking about. Are you, oh, and we will get to phones. East Coasters, great show, Tim. Um, uh, well, it is a good question. It seems like the West, the Northwest, the Southwest um, has a disproportionate number of these stories, uh, Lauren. What about the, uh, well, you told us about Ohio. What about the East? Oh, I, I think the East is full of stories. You have Eastern Canada has the Wendigo stories. Um, oh, is it what? Wendigo. Sorry, I don't know what Eastern that is. Eastern Wendigo. W i n. Well, no, no, I got that, but I mean, oh, what what is it? It's a, a eastern type of Bigfoot. Okay. Um, Florida and the South has what I've called napes for years, and what locally different people call boogers or swamp apes or skunk apes. Uh, in Louisiana, you have the Honey Island swamp monster. Really. Um, of course, there's the famous Mothman from West Virginia. In Massachusetts, for many years, you had different reports of the Dover Demon, a little kind of four-foot-tall orange creature with a round orange head. Oh. And then all up and uh, one of the biggest things in the East, of course, is these reports of black panthers, which seem to be black. not mountain lions, but uh, actually melanistic, you know, black felines, which are, are not supposed to exist. And they, there's you, hundreds you, and hundreds you, of reports of those. Do you believe they exist? I believe, yeah. I mean, I've found the tracks. I've talked to many people about them. Uh, it's just a, there's a whole, whole volumes and volumes. They're sort of the Bigfoot of the East, as far as I'm concerned, these panther reports. All right. Well, we'll get into more detail sure. about these animals. But um, before the hour ended, I, I was sort of inquiring of you. One could imagine several possibilities. One that we have a new animal uh, or animals on Earth that they have evolved and they are simply here. If you believe in evolution, I mean, it could happen. That's one. Mm -hmm. uh, two would be that these creatures are um, from elsewhere and that they pop in and out. I mean, there's been a million stories about... Uh, dimensional holes and things like the chupacabra and things that just don't seem natural to Earth popping out and popping back again. Right. Um, what, what, what do you generally subscribe to? I mean, or, or that they've been here all along is obviously number three and most likely, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a real, I mean, I think when I was younger and just getting into this, I looked into the psychic projection of the collective unconscious. In other words, were these animals projections of us and were they related to that? And I've really rejected that over the year because it's sort of using one unknown to explain another, Yeah, which I think is, is a, a real problem. So let's look at Chupacabra, for instance. Okay. Um, you have a situation where I think you have patterns of wildlife that, that increase and decrease. And if you look at this globally, uh, as far as anyway, the North America area with Chupacabra, you may have had different reports and different kind of breeding populations of Chupacabras different places. Right. And there's been an explosion, and we don't exactly know what that's caused. Maybe more people having more wildlife that they can suck the blood out of. I, I don't know. All right, now, uh, let me stop you there, sure, sure. Uh, and let's get into some details. Uh, the, the reports I've heard again and again, hundreds if not thousands of animals with the blood sucked from them. It is my understanding that a bat, uh, even a vampire bat, uh, will bite its victim and then lap up the blood. Sorry, folks, it's getting graphic, but there is no known creature that actually takes all the blood out of its victim, is there? No. The the vampire bat, like you said, it usually bites the toes and then licks the blood off. Yeah. Uh, and there, there are no animals that drain the blood. Um, all right, how sure are we that all of these bodies that have been put on display by Mexican television, Puerto Rican television, even some U.S. TV actually have had all the blood taken from them. We're not very sure. Uh, what happens after uh, a livestock sits there for a while is the blood coagulates. It appears to be drained of blood. There's all kinds of different things. I think that, you know, Linda Howe obviously knows from investigating the cattle mutilation phenomena yep. all through the 70s that there's natural predators like coyotes, you know, different... Uh, Hawks and, and other things that are killing some of these animals, leaving them dead, uh, you know, for 24 hours, 48 hours until their owners find them. And uh, sometimes it's not related to anything mysterious. It's just a natural predator. And I think all of those all of those natural predator deaths are being grouped under chupacabra. So even though I, I sense that there's some real reality behind chupacabra, mm -hmm. I think that this whole grouping of every mutilation, every blood draining. Every animal that's uh, being killed by something is a chupacabra. It's just the usual thing that happens at the beginning of any wave like this. All right. Even, even Florida, here's one for you. Sure. Please ask uh, Lauren if he's heard about a, in quotes, Bigfoot-like creature that lives and travels around the Florida Everglades. According to eyewitnesses, this thing, this creature, is so bad and uh, stinks so badly, it literally drives people away from it with the smell. Well, that's an interesting interpretation. It's called a skunk ape, and people who see it are scared of it, and it says it stinks, and they go away from it, but it's, it's not driving people away from it because of the stink. It's just that's part of its, its natural, um, you know, odor. And, but the skunk ape has, there's two different variations on the skunk ape. One is they're large and Bigfoot-like, you know, bipedal, all of that. But the, the more prominent skunk apes are chimpanzee-like creatures that seem to go around on all fours, look like chimps, 
uh, leave a footprint with a, a toe out to the side. And that very much mirrors reports all over the bottomlands and swamps of the south uh, of these these apes-like creatures that are not Bigfoot. They're something entirely different. They're more like a chimp. All right. Bigfoot. Um, do you, you think... love Bigfoot, don't you? I, <laughs> I certainly do. Um, is Bigfoot probably a missing link or the link between ape and man, which seems a logical conclusion to jump to? No, there is no missing link that exists now because we're all evolved from uh, things way back when fossil forms show us that we all have to be end results of these, so there's no missing link that exists now. Uh, these, these animals, the Bigfoot in the West, probably are a cousin, a relative, you know, somebody you... You would, uh. Of ours. Yeah, of ours. Well, that makes them, in the way though, that makes them a missing link. I mean, they, they. But is the, is the, is the pygmy chimpanzee, which is closer to us than even the, the regular chimpanzee, is that a missing link because. I don't know. They, you know, so I, I think it's just, it's, it's always dangerous to say missing links because people really think that, uh, you know, from that missing link that then we can evolve some other species. And we're not quite sure that it happens that way. Is there any, Lauren, is there any reason why a new species could not suddenly just show up on Earth? Well, new species do evolve all the time because of environmental constraints, but um, sure, they do show up all the time. So I'm not disagreeing with that. But the more complex the organism, the higher the primate, the less evolution, the less new species would happen very rapidly. Well, what are what are the odds of another in in other words if evolution is um, an ongoing process. It's a dynamic process, right? Dynamic. Then at some point, uh if not now then later, another intelligent species of some sort should evolve, shouldn't it? Well, it could. I mean, who's to say that cockroaches aren't already intelligent? They've been here longer than any of us. You know what I mean? Intelligence is relative. Um, dolphins are pretty bright. Um, dinosaurs... Yes, yes. Dolphins are pretty bright. Um, dinosaurs... Yes, yes, but couldn't they... I mean, at some point, the human made a leap, obviously. Uh, isn't it possible that one of these others that are close could suddenly make the leap? Right, or they may have already. I think that Carlton, really? Carlton Kuhn once said that, who are we to say that the Yeti is not as bright as we are because if they're close to water, they don't work, they don't uh, you know, pay taxes, and they just get to live a life. Who's to, not to say that they're not brighter than us? He was being somewhat facetious. Well, they don't have TV or the internet or a heater in their little um, right, uh, right. But nest. maybe they right. So it's all all depends on what your definition of pleasure and comfort is. But uh, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. If if mankind kills themselves, though, they'll probably kill these things before. Um, they can evolve to any kind of intelligent being. But it is possible that one day one animal, a dolphin, 
um, perhaps uh, a monkey, an ape, something or another will take the leap. I'm going back to Planet of the Apes, and suddenly, a talk, or or begin to communicate in a in a, um, a rational way with humans. Or, yeah, I mean, I I think that what I try to do is look. We're very ethnocentric. Humans are. Oh yes. And who's to say that the flashing of the skin patterns, which of the giant squid are not trying to communicate something to us, that the clicks of the dolphin already are saying things that we don't understand. So I think the intelligence is already out there. It's just that we're defining it in terms of us. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we're, we're that bad, huh? We're not. It's not bad. It's just what well, we Well, no, do. it is. I mean, we're, we're very egocentric. Yeah. But uh, a scientist, Dale Russell, who studied dinosaurs up in Canada, felt that... Uh, you know, just through a slip of nature that we could have had bipedal, very brainy reptiles, you know, walking around among us. Well, so, um, I would say then there is some um, something good about the way nature has done its work, because I wouldn't want that. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, all of this combined... Uh, oh, and then there's another. What What about this famous monster in, in, in the lake? Um... Loch Ness monster or uh, Lake Champlain or oh Lake Champlain. Well, let's begin with Loch Ness and then work our way toward Lake Champlain. Um, well, almost all of the northern lakes, you know, a little belt around the the world, have reported a certain kind of lake monster that has a big hump on the back or two humps and a long neck. Yes. Um, the surgeon's photo, the one that everybody looks at of the Loch Ness monster. Yes. Uh, which there was a big controversy, a deathbed confession that it was a hoax and all of that. Well, investigators have done all of the work and found out that that's probably, probably an animate object in the water, but maybe an otter. Uh, maybe an otter. Yeah. So the pictures that are much more Telling from Loch Ness show this huge, huge hump, and um, the the running theory is that these things are giant otters, or that they're prehistoric whales that may have survived that are long and thin and look like a serpent. That's why you get the whole notion of sea serpent. Well, whatever it is, there is something there. I mean, they they oh, yeah. they've done the soundings. They've seen these monstrous things moving under the lake at immense speeds. Well, it hasn't been publicized too much, but NOVA is going to have a, a program come on in the near future in which they went over there very skeptical. NOVA, of course, you know, is, is known for... First-class science program. Yeah, it's a good science program, but it debunks a lot of sure, things. Sure, sure it does. And so they went over there to try to disprove Loch Ness, where they came back and they're going to shock everybody by their program is going to say that there is a Loch Ness monster. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. So that just came across the wire about a week or two ago. Do you know when that's going to run? No, I've been trying to find out. I think it uh, it may be as soon as a month from now, or it may be the lead one for their new season next fall. All right. Now, Lake Champlain. Yep, there's all kinds of different lakes in the United States that have monsters, but probably the most famous, uh, investigated by a guy named Joseph Sarzinski, is Lake Champlain, which of course runs through to, you know, between Vermont and New York and up into Canada. 
And it's a, a very similar looking creature to the Loch Ness Monster with the long neck and the big body. And, yes. you know, there's probably six or seven good reports of it every year. Kind of sounds even, like it's related to the dinosaur family, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why the Pleistocene, you know, why, uh, I mean, why the Plesiosaurus, I'm sorry. The Plesiosaurus was this large reptilian dinosaur-like creature was said to be the Loch Ness Monster. So, um, but, you know, even P.T. Barnum was involved in the Lake Champlain. He, he offered a reward if anybody could bring it to him so he could exhibit. Are there any reports that you're aware of, of any of these creatures, don't protect them in your answer, Bigfoot to lake monsters consuming human beings. Consuming human beings. Or, uh, well... Yeah, or uh, killing them. Or, or killing, yes, or well, killing. I think it's interesting if you go different places. Um, for instance, there's a place in uh, the Northwest Territories called the Headless Valley. The Headless Valley. And there was reports of giant uh, Bigfoot-type creatures, let's call them for now, and for years and years, prospectors would go into the valley. They would either disappear or their bodies were found by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, with their heads severed. Um, and but so, not not consumed, not but consumed, simply with, with their heads severed. Cut off, right? And uh, some evidence that it was done by. Well, that was the speculation. I don't know. The, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police would never say that. But. All right. Um, stay right where you are with your head where it is, and we'll be right back. Lauren Coleman, a world-famous cryptozoologist, is my guest. Lauren Coleman, your call's coming up in a second. Uh, Lauren, why do you think, and I'm, I'm a victim, why do you think people really like monsters? Um... I think people like to get scared so that they can then master that scary feeling. And uh, it's always nice to know that there's something unknown out there. So I, I think those are two big reasons. Okay. Let me relate something short to you. I think you're right. I think people, uh, sort of right, I think people like to think about being scared. Right. They like to hear about some poor slug who got his head chopped off by something. But, let me assure you, Lauren, one day I was talking about ghosts. I was doing a show on ghosts, and I had this gigantic kaboom on my door. And I've got to tell you, Lauren, I about lost it. You know, in other words, for a long time there, it was not fun. I was scared. Right. And if you really encountered one of these things, I, I, I think it wouldn't be as much fun as you think it might be. Now, right. now, for you it might, because, of course, you know, that's your uh, bread and butter, so to speak. But right. for the average guy or gal, no. No. No fun. No. Okay, there's a million people who want to talk to you. People uh, love this topic, so let's see what we've got here. First time caller line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Good, good evening, Art. Good evening, Lauren. Hi. My name is Fran, and I, I live in Springfield, Massachusetts. And in May of 1973, I, I was a Marine. We did a battalion-sized exercise in an area of California known as KC Springs. Uh, we were told that there were no roads to get there. We were inserted by helicopter. I was sent out on a midnight ambush with 15 other Marines. It was a computerized war game. It worked on the computer, so they send Marines out to see if it can feasibly be done. What we did was uh, we were going after an aggressor force. We set up a linear-shaped ambush. It's shaped like an L. And when your victims lock into it, you 
it's a computer kill. Mm. Well, we set up this ambush at midnight, and we had two individuals walk into our ambush, and we opened fire with blank with blanks. And as it turns out, we thought they were bare. Mm. So we scrambled, shooting our our blanks at the, at these individuals, and they separated. One went one way, one went the other way. We got back to our PPB, which is our platoon-sized patrol base, and we told our lieutenant what had happened. He radioed it in to our commander, and this this was the first night of a four-day war game, and it was canceled. Mm. We were given orders to light a large fire, to fix bayonet, and stand on a 360 around our blazing fire. All through that night, we heard high-pitched, the only way I can describe it is that of a a death ball of a bear. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, we had two helicopters come in with uh, base game wardens and some other fellas. Uh, To this day, I don't know who they are. Um, We were made to bring them back to the area that this happened. Two of the individuals walked to where we directed them, and we were ordered to leave the area. And this is something that the Marine Corps does not do, is cancel computerized war games. There was over 3,000 Marines involved in this, and the logistics and the money that was spent on this, and it was canceled. All right. In 1994, I was watching a... uh, Monsters and Myths program, mm-hmm. and a fellow from Bothell, Washington, got a tape of uh, supposedly Bigfoot. And I, I would imagine Lauren would know of that. Yeah, it's, uh, Mr. Cliff Crook, I think his name is. Oh, yes. Uh, let, let's stop there. The, the very infamous uh, Crook photo. Right. You have any comments you want to make on that? A hoax. A hoax. Yeah, I, it looks like a little plastic thing in some water. Yeah. Um, Computer generated. Probably. He he brings up an interesting point, though. Uh, do you think that our government, uh, at any level, officially might be aware that there are these creatures? Well, I, I think it's it's very interesting what he said because if they would have any evidence, any you know biotechnical evidence of it it's probably in some file someplace and how many of us think about doing freedom of information requests to the about this kind of right, thing. about this You're kind of darn thing darn right have you done any i i uh, when i wrote my book tom slick and the search for the yeti i uh, searched the fbi and cia files for tom slick and yeti information and, and got a few things but i have not specifically asked you know the, 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 real, the real problem is that you have to know what to ask for. You have to know exactly the right label, yeah. the right name, the right date. And if you get anything wrong, they can say there's nothing there. So when I find when I found that the FBI was saying the CIA was investigating it, yet I went to the CIA and they said they had no files. I knew that I must be off by a word or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very clever. Uh, Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Good morning. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. This is John in Scottsdale. Nice to talk to you again. Hi, John. Your uh, your previous caller raised a very important point, 
um, actually two points I wish to discuss. First of all, uh, a lot of the animal tax you're talking about might be explained by the fact that more and more people are going into the wilderness unarmed, unlike uh, previously. Uh, predators are not stupid. They know this. Uh, secondly, uh, the suppression of evidence of hominoids is something that fits in with, um, well, a lot of other topics you have on the show. You had a guest, uh, Art, uh, previously on your show, Lloyd Pye. That's right. And uh, in it, he promulgates the theory that hominoids, as we know them, are the natural descendants of you know, the planet Earth and that human beings are created genetically engineered creatures, yes. uh, self-evident you know, in their own anatomy, and that that's what hominoids have been kind of pushed to the edges, but they are the natural descendants of the Earth. One can, I, I can embrace that concept. In other words, we are the ones uh, living more unnaturally, if you right. will, uh, and the they're the ones living uh, naturally. Right, apes and presumably hominoids would have 46 pairs of chromosomes where we have 20 or um, 40. Um, they have 48, rather, we have 46, 23, and, and 24. Um, I wonder what uh, Mr. Coleman has to, has to say about uh, Mr. Pye's theory and, uh, you know, what he might, if he's heard of him. All right, what about that? That many of the creatures we have talked about tonight and are talking about are the natural ones. We're the unnatural ones. Right, well. I, I guess I have to differ. Coming from a anthropological, zoological background, I think that we are an animal. We are very much a naked ape, and that we have we have been bright enough to reconstruct our environment to make it do what we want it to do. But I. But we're no. naked apes, huh? God, I hate that idea. I know you do, but uh, or, or we're the third chimpanzee, if you want to. There was another book that was called that. And I think that it's back to what I was saying about we're so close to it, we can't see how animalistic we are. Kind of interesting. Art, I work at a nuclear power plant, and myself and a friend of mine had a Bigfoot encounter at work. These happen several months apart. We work security and have to go deep into the woods to find a natural gas-fired plant. That's where my friend saw the pile of pine straw that was crouching beside the dirt road. He got out of the truck to unlock a gate and smelled something he described as rotten animal guts. He turned and saw this pile of straw get up and move into the woods. At this point, he left the area quickly. Now, I never saw it, but I did smell something horrible on that same route. It was about 2,300 hours or so. I was going to get out of the truck at the same time, and that's when I smelled it. I heard a powerful bellowing sound in the woods, then crashing through tree sounds. Needless to say, I, too, got the hell out of there. It feels good to tell someone this story. Typical. Yeah, well, I, I think that these creatures are great uh, artists of camouflage, and it sounds like one of those cases. Sounds like a good one. All right. East of the Rockies, uh, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hi. Hi, uh, hi Dr. Coleman. That's nice to speak to you again. Uh, Dr. Coleman, in the uh, 70s, I worked for a research lab, and we used to get uh, wild uh, rhesus monkeys from South Africa uh-huh. to do research on. And um, my job was to uh, handle the animals, to take them out of the cage for different types of tests and things. And uh, during the courses that I had to take to be an animal handler, I was informed that there are ten times, a wild monkey is ten times stronger than a man. Now, a lot of these monkeys would weigh about 25 pounds, and and that 
makes them about a 250-pound strong person. And when I tried taking him out of the cage with double thick leather gloves, it was, it was shown to me by the, by a 25 pound monkey how very strong they can be. Right. Uh, during these tests, they would have, they would have their canine teeth removed because uh, they had a tendency to bite. They were from the wild. Yeah. And they didn't particularly like the research work. Uh, the point that I'm, uh, getting to is that, uh, I go along with what you say about uh, capturing, uh, or if you're going to shoot one of these things, shoot it with a, uh, uh, a knockout dart, an immobilizing compound of some kind. Mm -hmm. But then once you've done that, you, know, you talk about monsters and scary things, uh, and, and say this, uh, uh, Bigfoot doesn't want to be domesticated. Uh, and well, I bet it doesn't. <laughs> And, uh, you should have a very strong cage. You know, I can't imagine trying to, to, to handle a six to nine foot, no, four you, to you six hundred pound, uh, anything uh, that doesn't want to be handled. No, that's exactly right. Um, but look. we know we can do it with rhinos. We know we can do it with other large, several toned animals. I mean, um, you know, I think that the, the technology is out there for us to study these animals and keep them safe and to keep us safe. If we did get one alive, uh, Lauren, it, it seems to me uh, it would probably be in a Bigfoot park soon, jumping through hoops or something. Well, I, uh, from everybody I know that's involved in this, I don't think that's probably true. If you, Unfortunately, what has happened, though, is there's no really good funding around for this kind of research because it's still on the fringe. So who is going to do this? Who is going to go after and get the first Bigfoot? Who is should? it going to be a person that's got a Jurassic Park type situation? Who should do it, Lauren? You tell me. Well, I think it should be a, some university should get funded or some cryptozoological society where that has a, a board of scientists. There's a... a organization, the North American Science Institute up in Hood River, that's being privately funded and funded for five years to do Bigfoot research. They're a continuation really? of the Bigfoot project. Really? And uh, I'm hoping that, you know, people will notice those kinds of organizations and give some funding and give some, you know, scientific backing to it. Let us suppose that somebody, um, probably the government, they do this kind of thing all the time, uh, suddenly graced you with a million dollars right, and said... Settle the issue, find or um, declare as not uh, real Bigfoot. How would you go about, with enough resources, finding Bigfoot? I would uh, collect a group of five individuals who are very astute at, in the ways of the animals and just plant them in an area for six months. And I think... If you know what's going over on over in Sumatra with the Oranga Pindek, which is a small ape-like, unknown ape-like creature that we're trying to find over there, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Sentries, in effect, sentries in the woods. Right. And that's the way you find animals. You don't find it. Sir Edmund Hillary, when he went for the Yeti in the Himalayas, he went into a valley with 300 people. Mm -hmm. Now, you know that that's going to scare anything away. Mm. So you've got to plant yourself and become part of the landscape. Yeah. Makes, yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hello. 
Hi. Hi. This is Kathy from Phoenix. Yes. And I have a, a, a question and a comment. All right. Uh, I hadn't thought about it for years, but when you mentioned the, uh, doctor, when you mentioned the kangaroos, mm -hmm. in the town that I, uh, came from in the early 60s, there was a, a big to-do about kangaroo hopping around through the fields and what have you around the town. Was this think, in the Midwest? Uh, yes, it's a little town called Alton, Illinois. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, half the county was out trying to run this thing down. No right. one ever found it that I, that I heard of, but I thought it was kind of, uh, I had never heard of ghost kangaroos before. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, the question that I have is, have you read a book or heard of a book called The Beast by Walter J. Sheldon? Is it fiction? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm not real familiar with, with it. Well, it was so funny because I just finished reading this book and then you're on tonight. <laughs> um, this was a, uh, area of land between Alaska, uh, Alaska and the Canadian border area up there and, um, they found a tooth. This is what started the, you know, the, the book, the, the story. Mm -hmm. They found a tooth. And uh, it was funny. You just mentioned that you'd have five people. In this book, they chose five people to go out. Kidding. Wow. No. Right. <laughs> Hunting for this Bigfoot. And uh, they also had uh, the story from the, the point of view of the Bigfoot. And they portrayed them as a uh, uh, large, tall, uh, bipedal creature and uh, who who were coming into being able to communicate with each other through signs and certain sounds. They didn't have a spoken language. And they referred to each other as, oh, say, for instance, big male with red hair. Uh, they used descriptive words to differentiate. Okay, listen here. We're almost out of time here at the top oh, of the hour. Do you have a question? Yeah, uh, I just wondered if he had heard that and, it, and, and, and they had a tooth. Has there ever been anything like that that has been found? Um, not like a no bones or teeth yet. Nope. Not over in the United States. Some things over in Tibet. But in in Tibet. Yeah, in Tibet they've they have different relics and hands and bones and. Well, what do they do with this evidence? I mean, this is significant evidence. I would presume that you could uh, get DNA, for example, from a tooth. Well, in in 1991, uh, on the Unsolved Mysteries program, they examined the Pan Boucher hand at the Berkeley. A DNA lab. Yes. And they came back saying, this is a unknown human-like primate, but we don't know which one it is because we don't have anything to compare it with. And this was from the hand of... Uh, and so that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. No, words, here's something we positively cannot explain, but right. sorry, we, d we just don't know what it is. The show was on in February right. of 92, and in May of 92... Somebody stowed the Pan Boucher hand from the monastery. Oh, my God. Uh, Dr. Coleman, stand by. We'll get right back to you, all right? Sure, thanks. We're at the top of the hour, Dr. Lauren Coleman is my guest. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Your hair is hollow gold. Your lips sweet. To note for you on my website, one, Keith, uh, in his... Uh, in normal way, has managed to get the Nightline facts up there. So if you want to see the actual facts from Nightline, it's on the site right now. Also, you'll note he mentions links at the top of the page. Uh, if you click on that, uh, you will go to the page.
which has a story uh, which is entitled What the WHO, World Health Organization, Doesn't Want You to Know About Cannabis. So many people requested that I put that up there, that I uh, talk Keith into putting it up there, so there it is. All right, uh, back now to Dr. Coleman. Um, and I've got a fax here. It says, um, Art, I am of Native American background, and I'd like to say that our people have always known of Bigfoot's existence. We think of them as another tribe of humans. They, as well as we humans, are telepathic and can appear or disappear at will. They're highly advanced, intelligent, should be obvious, because they, as well as our Native American tribes, live in harmony with Earth by choice. Do you agree with that? Well, I think that uh, being Eastern Band Cherokee myself, I want to say that different First Nation peoples believe different things. So as far as this individual, that may be true among his group of people, but some individuals in the West, some individual tribal groups, believe these are flesh and blood creatures. Others of them believe they're more of the ghost world, uh, but... The baseline is that through all of these you find that there's large, hairy creatures that uh, some of the old folklore talks about as cannibals. Some of the new folklore talks about them as just killing livestock and leaving big footprints. So it, it really varies. Uh, all right. One more for you here. Sure. Uh, Art, in 1978, I had recently graduated from college, was living with my girlfriend in Carterville, which is located in northwest Georgia. One Friday evening... We were exploring some old logging roads in the hills north of Carterville. At the end of one of the roads, a few hundred feet uphill, we were sitting on the hood of my girlfriend's vehicle, stargazing. Suddenly, something emitted an intelligent but primal-sounding scream, very nearly exactly like uh, the one on the tape from Linda, and proceeded to then run through the brush, breaking tree limbs and logging debris as it moved down the hill directly toward our position. Now, look, I'm a trained geologist, she a biologist, but we were petrified with fear as the obviously bipedal creature careened down the hill. It was probably about 100 feet away when we made good our escape back down the logging road in reverse. We never went up that hill again, even in daylight. Yeah, it's a good case, and it's pretty typical here. You have two scientists who aren't even willing to venture in and see if there's any traces or footprints. How are we going to find these creatures if, if uh, geologists and biologists don't even want to, are, are scared of them? Well, it's a, a, it's a good point, but, you know... It's scary. It's, it's like the moment, uh, Lauren, people sure. just don't think about, man, I'm going to go collect a footprint, or I'm going to try to see if I can get some hair. It's more like, I'm going to see if I can get away alive. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I, I totally understand these folks, but on the other side of it, you know, it would be nice sometime if some of those people go back and get real evidence. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Uh, 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 Coleman. Hi. Dr. Art, how are you? We're fine. Hi. Okay, I have uh, one question for Art and several for uh, doc the doctor. Yes. Uh, the first question is, you, you have a friend that's a Native American chief. I forget his name. Well, I have I have many in that. Well, area, you mentioned right? a few weeks ago. You mentioned that he, uh, he Robert went, Ghost Wolf. Yes, that he had went into the Rockies. Does that have anything to do, perhaps, with uh, Bigfoot? I can't comment on that. You cannot. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Um, 
my questions for the doctor are are these. Um, many people believe that uh, because of the concentration of Bigfoot sightings in Washington, that when Mount St. Helens erupted, that it took out a lot a large population of the Bigfoot uh, Bigfoot Big Feet actually. Um, is do you, do you believe that this is true or? Oh, I think when Mount St. Helens went up, it, it took out a lot of animals out, and there probably were a few Bigfoot in there. I, I don't think the the population density of Bigfoot is as much as bear, so I, I don't think it took that many out. Hmm. All right. Um, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Lauren Coleman. Hi. Just, just Lauren Coleman. Hi, this is uh, Corey from uh, Colorado Springs. Corey, hello. Uh, get closer to your phone. You're kind of hollow sound. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was calling, I was wanting to know um, how much attention the government pays to these studies. Well, we kind of already went over that. There's no real way to know whether the government has information. We don't, uh, with the exception of um, freedom of information requests, and then you've got to know exactly what to ask for. And we we certainly know they're not giving grants out for this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But if uh, somebody did find a Bigfoot or something like that, um, is there anybody paying attention to... uh, um, come in and um, seize that information and uh, want to uh, well, now hide it from us? Yeah, there's a very good point. In other words, what evidence has been gathered in the past, uh, Lauren? Um, has it well, been, uh, you, you know, we talk a lot about the men in black, people come right. steal things, and you mentioned something that was stolen that was a piece of hard evidence. Is there much of that going on? Not really too much. I think that if there you know the government's not too interested in this subject yet. I think if it it blossoms into a real discovery, I think you're going to see a lot of governmental bodies around, especially if it's on forest land or national parks or something like that. And or uh, which you'll you hear the inkling of them being seen near atomic plants or or things like that, where there's kind of green belts around them. Or, you know, if one shows up in Area 51, I don't know. You know, you're going to have the government involved. But it's right now, they're not really too interested that, we're know, that we know about. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, my name's uh, Dr. Chansky uh, from New Jersey. Uh, I was wondering uh, on the subject of evolution, uh, Dr. Coleman, uh, if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Michael Beatty, and, and he wrote a popular book, uh, Darwin's Black Box, uh, where he points out that... Um, Not really. Okay, he basically argues um, that evolution was a theory that was designed on a gross morphological level of characteristics, and it has not really been uh, brought to the level of precision to be testable uh, in terms of cells and molecules. Um, and uh, he thinks that this is one of the, you know, very important uh, topic. He has no philosophical problem with the possibility of evolution. Um, but uh, but I think there's another comment to be made in that regard, uh, which was uh, introduced by Gilbert Chesterton, uh, who's... Uh, essay was collected in Michael Martin Gardner's Great Essays of Science. In another essay, he pointed out that if you had two cars that were almost identical, like say the 98 or 99 percent similarity of the DNA between us and uh, the great apes, mm-hmm. um, 
And if these one of these cars suddenly took off like an airplane, whereas the other one didn't, the similarity actually increases the mystery rather than um, explaining it away. And I think that you talked about you know, maybe giant squid are rational. I think that you know that's the kind of level that things have to be looked at in terms of abstract thought. Uh, none of the great apes that have been taught sign language have ever, you know, started discussing the justice of their imprisonment with us. Well, that that is a that is a true statement. Uh, although, uh, Doctor, um, how how much uh, intelligence actually have we seen? I know that there, there has been a lot of sign language. And how far has it gone? Well, I think there's been construction of new, of, you know, concepts by taking words that they knew and putting them together. You know, like red ball means apple or something like that. Uh -huh. um, and I think what people are looking for is, is beginning to show up where some of the great apes have taught language to other great apes. Uh, or at least sign, you know, sign language so then they can talk to the humans. But, it's got a long way to go in that area, and there does seem to be some, there's just something missing with great, great apes as far as them having any motivation or, or the possibilities or potential for intent. Well, as he pointed out, they have never yet discussed the terms of their uh, right. imprisonment. Right. But there have been uh, great apes that seem to paint pictures of the places that they came from. That is true. And so. That is true. That's abstract. And just and so is this question: If we began to see uh, sentience developing uh, in apes, let us say, just as an example, how do you think man would react socially? How would we react? Would we begin to reclassify uh, these animals, give them protections uh, that they now might not enjoy, even rights? That sort of thing? Perhaps, and I, I think that your question... Or would we kill them? Well, I think you'd have a battle among humans. I mean, you have it already among how to treat animals. And if you find out that Bigfoot is someplace in between, you're going to have even a bigger battle. That's right. That's right. How, how do you imagine that coming out, uh, given present-day um, society? Well, you're going to have a whole bunch of people that will think that they need to be studied and cut up and... Uh, put in zoos and um, and there'll be other people that'll say maybe that they're yet another um, native Canadians or something you know I mean you, you can look at it two different ways that's, that's right <laughs> west of the Rockies you are on the air with Lauren Coleman good morning hi let's see uh, so this is a question for uh, Art Bell's guest uh, yes yeah. he's right here uh, you're going to have to speak up good and loud for us oh very good yes it's about an animal I saw in uh, Taipei uh, Taiwan, Taipei, in about 1986. Wanted to ask him about it. Okay. All right. Would, would, would you turn off your radio, please, sir? Yes. Sorry about that. Thank you. Yes, my name is Art. I'm from Carmel. Okay. And um, I was on a trip to uh, Taiwan in '86, about '86, and this uh, little animal was in a cage downtown Taipei uh, at night, uh, kind of in the tourist area, and uh, they had it for sale, and it was apparently for for someone to eat, but it was a very strange-looking little. Um, almost a fawn-looking creature, but it was tusked, had tusks about the size of a fawn, had the same kind of uh, molting on the back. Oh, it sounds like a barking deer type, one of the, 
the dick dicks or our relation to that. I see. Um, the two gentlemen that I was with, uh, both Chinese, uh, neither seemed to know uh, its exact name, but they said it was native of Taiwan. Uh-huh. It was fairly rare, but I always wondered what it was. Yeah. Well, I, I think if you get a good mammal guidebook uh, from East Asia, you'll be able to find it. They're, they're quite common. Oh, very good. In the guidebooks. There you are. Explained right. by modern science. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Good morning. No, I guess we missed you. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hi. Hi. Uh, this is Sharon from uh, Georgia. Yes, Sharon. And uh, when I was a little girl, my mother, I don't know how much truth this is. Maybe she was just trying to scare me. But she used to tell me about uh, some kind of an animal that would come out at night, and she called him a caddy mount. And it was kind of like a kangaroo. Oh, here we is an old regional name for mountain lion. And oh. some of the mountain lion reports talk about them bounding around on their back feet because actually yeah. mountain lions can stand up on their back legs. But a caddy mount is a panther. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, thanks. Yeah. All right, I have had in my life exactly one encounter with a mountain lion. Uh-huh. And I will never, for the rest of my life, I guarantee, forget it, I was coming down uh, the Las Vegas side of the mountain. We have a mountain between uh, my little town and Las Vegas, big one, 5,500 feet. And I was just crested the top and was on the way down. And I'm telling you, Lauren, mm-hmm. this mountain lion covered both sides of the road. This was the longest animal I had ever seen in my entire life. It was covering both lanes as it crossed. Wow. I slammed on the brakes and missed it, mm-hmm. but its it really scared me. Uh, do they grow that long? Well, some of them do, especially the ones out west. They can get quite big. Oh, man, this thing was gigantic. If I had hit it, I would have been dead. Yeah. First time caller line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Good morning. Oh, uh, hello, Lauren. Let me turn the radio down. Yes, please. Always right away, folks. Come to you without notice. There, it's off. Okay, where are you? Uh, Sacramento, California, listening to you on 650 KSTAM. That's the way to do it. Um, um, Name is Brian. Anyway, uh, I was always wondering... If uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot could not be a descendant of uh, Neanderthal, and well, I'll listen to uh, his thoughts on that off the air. All right. Okay. Uh, Neanderthals are much shorter than the reported uh, listings of Bigfoot. Neanderthal. There's a lot of Russians believe that the, there may be surviving Neanderthals in East Asia and, and the Far East and, and different places like that. But it doesn't seem to be at all. Uh, Neanderthals used weapons. They used clothing. They used uh, a much more cultured way of living that we don't see with Bigfoot. So behaviorally, fossil evidence, height, everything points to these creatures that are called Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest not being Neanderthal. But Neanderthals, uh, you know, the one caller was talking about the strength of monkeys. Yes. Neanderthals were so strong that they could pick up a linebacker and throw them through the goalpost. So <laughs> the strength of, of some of these quote-unquote prehistoric men and women were quite quite a lot. All right. Um, let's go east of the Rockies, I guess. You're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hello. Yes, it's Ken from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Yes, sir. I'm just wondering, you know, with uh, the Bigfoot and Chupacabra, is it some kind of government experiment gone awry? 
Oh, oh, that, you know, there's a possibility that I had not covered. Thank you. Um, well, we are experimenting genetically and doing all kinds of things, not all of which work. I mean, look at Dolly, the cloning of Dolly. They, I, I forget, they did a hundred or two hundred or three hundred um, clonings before they finally got, got it right, they say. So is it not logical to presume that either in, in government black ops programs or even privately in labs around the country, people are tinkering? Well, you know, anything's possible. We all know that. But my, in my universe of looking at things, there's so many unknowns and such a long, long thousand-year history of hairy hominoid reports that it seems not consistent with the evidence. But there could be there could be a mix, right? In other words, well, there, there anything's possible, and yeah. but it's not what I look into, and it's not the path I go down. Mm -hmm. So it's not what I see, but I, I don't I don't diminish the reality for other people of that. If you were to take all the collective evidence, uh, Lauren, and um, do you think you could go into a court of law and prove that? That there is a Bigfoot? Well, it's been done. Uh, Ray Crow uh, the, in the Western Bigfoot Society has, for a, a few times in this last decade, done mock trials in which he's taken Bigfoot evidence into court, and the jury of, of people that weren't Bigfooters have come up with the verdict that this was a real animal. All right. So hold, it, hold it right there. We'll be right back with you. We're at the bottom of the hour. If you have a question for Lauren Coleman, we've got another... 30 minutes ahead of us. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. How you coming on those New Year's resolutions? Pretty much as... Any idea what that might be? Uh, somebody's recording of a Bigfoot. Is it? Is it from Washington State? I really, at this point, couldn't tell you. I have collected these as people have sent them to oh, me, but that's a pretty terrifying sound. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, you think that that might be close to the real thing? I'd say sixty forty. I, you know, I, I'd want more information. I think, like any of these films, any of these tapes, I'd like to hear more about who put them together and who's sending them in okay uh, a question for you uh do you have any knowledge about sightings of quote big black birds now this is from uh, john in new jersey these uh, where i live uh lauren we have the biggest birds i have ever seen in my entire life i mean these are monsters they're probably 20 30 pound birds they're gigantic they're so big that half the time they can't get themselves off the ground. You know, it's like yeah. it's almost comical uh, watching them try to get into the air. They finally do, but it, uh, I've hit a couple with a car. Uh, they're so slow. Yeah, the um, the turkey vultures and black vultures along the East Coast have been going more and more in their distribution. So a lot of people who are not familiar with their local bird lore and you know bird distribution are missing these, and so. It sounds like one of those. Um, I think that there, uh, a friend of mine, Mark Hall in Minnesota, who wrote a book, Thunderbirds, I think there are definitely some, some large, bigger than condor-like birds. Right. Through, you know, Alton, Illinois, for instance, that woman that talked about the 
kangaroos. I grew up in Decatur, Illinois, and uh, lots of reports through the Midwest, the Ozarks, into the Black Forest of Pennsylvania. You have these thunderbird-like creatures. And, of course, being out west, there's a whole uh, lore of them out there, of course. Of course. All right, back to the phones we go. First time caller line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hello. Uh, I'm Martha in uh, California. Hi, Martha. And uh, I have picked berries with Bigfoot. You have picked berries, berries with, with Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Now, I, um, I had a stroke, so you have to kind of put up with me here. You're doing okay. fine. I um, was kidnapped at a young age and kept in the closet or in the, uh, or in the closet uh, until... Out grew the closet, and they left the door open. Used to keep my arms uh, with handcuffs, so they left the door open, and I went outside. I didn't know very much. May I stop you already, Martha? Who kidnapped you? Um, They're dead now, and I'm working on a case about that. So I don't want to tell too much about human beings. Human beings. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Oh, I see. All right. Beings. I've yes. got you. All right. Okay. So I went outside, and uh, not knowing what people look like, um, I picked berries, and these were uh, what I think they are vegetarians, and these were uh, plum uh, plum bushes, wild plum bushes, mm-hmm. and at that time there was hardly any food. I'm seventy-seven. That's when I was about ten years old. Yes, ma'am. And um, one came up. I walked up, and I thought this. Uh, Caller line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hello. Uh, I'm Martha in uh, California. Hi, Martha. And uh, I have picked berries with Bigfoot. You have picked berries, berries with, with Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Now, I, um, I had a stroke, so you have to kind of put up with me here. You're doing uh, fine. I um, was kidnapped at a young age and kept in the closet or in the, uh, or in the closet uh, until... Out grew the closet, and they left the door open. Used to keep my arms uh, with handcuffs, so they left the door open, and I went outside. I didn't know very much. May I stop you already, Martha? Who kidnapped you? Um, They're dead now, and I'm working on a case about that. So I don't want to tell too much about it. Human beings. Human beings. Yes. Okay. yes. All right. Oh, I see. All right. I've yes. got you. All right. Okay. So I went outside, and uh, not knowing what people look like, um, I picked berries, and these were uh, what I think they are vegetarians, and these were uh, plum uh, plum bushes, wild plum bushes, mm-hmm. and at that time there was hardly any food. I'm seventy-seven. That's when I was about ten years old. Yes, ma'am. And um, one came up. I walked up, and I thought this uh, was a lady, and she was standing on the opposite side of the bush. And then she noticed me standing there, and she ran and hid someplace. 
So then the next day I went out again and, uh, there was a young lady. I call her young lady. She, um, they have brown, long brown hair, probably about two feet long, brownish, uh, reddish brown hair, and they smelled high heaven. <laughs> and, um, she, um, didn't have any, there were no, um, plums. So I, she was going to walk away and I motioned to her to come back. They have a lot of scents. And they're not animal, and they're not human. Um, I motioned for her to come back, and I screamed at her, and I uh, made a motion to come toward me, and she came back. I went inside, and all we had was a piece of bread. So I went out, and she didn't know what the bread was, and I tried to put it in her mouth, and I put some in my mouth. So she put it in her mouth, and she spit it out, because um, I guess she's a vegetarian never eaten anything like that before then another time i went out and it was a man um i'm sure because he i was handing him some of the the plums and uh i thought well i'll save this little one because i know it makes you uh, sick when you eat green plums so i was picking all these and had one little piece underneath my little finger and um i gave this was like a man uh, you can tell the the difference in whether they're man or whether they're uh, a f- Male or female no. or, or, or young. And uh, so I handed them the plums, and he practically tore my hand off trying to get the other plum off. And then he hit me in the head twice. And but just before he did that, he has a kind of a a, a guttural. I knew he was talking to me. He was mad because I was not giving him all the plums. And he has a kind of a guttural like a man would be talking under, uh, down in his stomach. And uh, I know that they have a language. Uh, let's see what else I can you're, you're sure of all this? Absolutely. It wasn't the imagination of a no. 10-year-old who had been locked Absolutely up? Absolutely no. Absolutely not. <laughs> My son thinks that too. And I also have something I want to say uh, to Linda Moult how about how this uh, silver thing is um, made. All right. Well, that that would be uh, the subject of another call. Right. That, that's a remarkable story, uh, Doctor. Have you yeah. heard others like that? Well, I think if we take all of the 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 abuse, which is kind of noise, you know, if we take all of that away, and, and it's an important element and variable to look at and wonder about this woman and her fantasy worlds and things like that. But looking at the whole idea that 10-year-olds in the Pacific Northwest, it's very interesting that there's lots and lots of reports of kids between 6 and 10 years old seeing these creatures and these creatures not being afraid of them, almost as if they know there's no threat from, from children. And, uh, I almost felt like I was listening to the old lady talk about the Titanic in the movie. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, that's a remarkable story. And I, yeah. I and she sounded very credible to me. And, and yeah, she sounds sincere and like it was just a, a regular normal experience for her. Exactly. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Good morning. Good morning to you both. This is Tom from Streamwood, Illinois. Hi, Tom. Um, two quick questions. One was, I was wondering if your guest was aware of the story, I believe it was from Brazil of the giant anaconda. 
Yeah, oh. that came crashing through the forest and knocked down houses. Thank supposedly. you. This is one of the areas that Lauren Coleman has definitely investigated, uh, gigantic snakes. Right, right. Uh, Lauren, what can you tell us? Um, well, there's lots of reports going back to the 1920s of, of giant anacondas. They're huge, you know, over 100 feet long. And I think there's this recent report, of course, that, that people are saying it it's 130 feet long and, um, you know, did a swat through the the forest and different things like that. There's definitely something down there. Well, I saw the movie Anaconda, which I thought was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, that was an over-exaggeration of a cryptozoological mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are, uh, if I if I saw a 130-foot snake, boy, am I going the other way. Yeah. It would be monstrous. Caller, anything else? Uh, yeah, my second question was, I was wondering how it is that these small uh, monkeys and uh, Neanderthals, have such a greater physical capability strength-wise than humans do. Ah, very good. Actually, a very good question. We're, we're a very fragile animal, um, and uh, Neanderthal has had a bone structure that's twice as thick as ours. Oh. So uh, that bone structure anchored a muscle structure that was dynamically much heavier than ours. So it's just basic physics, you know, and... Uh, and we're we're a very frail creature. I think that's why the whole theory that we may be uh, an aquatic ape, one that evolved near water or near the ocean, and that's one of the reasons why we lost our hair. Um, you know, we wouldn't have needed that much strength in the early water days. So, you know, that's just another theory, but we're a very fragile ape. Mm-hmm. These are the first-time callers, area 702-727-1222. And you're not allowed to use your last name on the air, so I'm going to have to bleep that out, and we'll start all over again. Uh, John is your first name, and where are you calling from? And this is uh, from Minnesota. Minnesota, okay. And uh, uh, 15 years ago, I seen a strange animal chase my cat up the tree, and it was just this black, hideous thing. And a few years ago, I seen a picture, and it kind of looked like a, a Tasmanian devil. Uh huh. But what would it? And, but this thing looked like a like a, a half a crossbreed or something, and I didn't know what the heck. And I, I've never seen one before. Is right. there is there anything that would be in that part of the well, country? Well, it that... could have been a, a badger or a wolverine or a koi dog. I mean, there's lots of uh, lots of things in Minnesota that sort of look like a fast moving Tasmanian devil. Mm-hmm. That Wolverines. would that, that would chase cat typically. Yeah, wolverines would eat a cat. They'd eat a cat. Yeah. Yeah, so do coyotes. That's yeah. why mine stay inside. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hi. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Okay. All right, Lauren, good morning, Hi. gentlemen. Where are you? This is uh, Graham calling you from the top of the Okanagan, uh, Vernon, British Columbia. Yes, sir. Um, just uh, barely getting you on uh, 1510 KGA from Spokane. Okay. Yeah, I uh, actually emailed you a while ago about that. I don't know if you got it or not. Uh, well, I, I don't know. His mailbox is full, I know that. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no kidding. Actually, yeah, I, I've actually just uh, moved to this part of the country a couple years back. from Pogo uh, Pogo Land. Well, this is what I was wondering, if yep. you know anything about uh, the, the suspected little critter that we have down in our lake here. Oh, yeah, Ogo Pogo is very famous. Uh, a little lake monster that in many ways is very similar to the Loch Ness Monster and the Lake Champlain Monster. Hmm. And uh, there's... There's even some good films and photographs of Ogopogo. It's got a great long history. Mm, yeah, I, I noticed that you sort of uh, segued from uh, 
from Loch Ness directly into the Lake Champlain um, creature that I wasn't even really aware of, and I, I thought that uh, Ogopogo was one of the more famous purported lake monsters in existence. I was kind of interested. I wanted to, to hear if you know anything that you might have known about it. Yeah, I, I know about it. I've been there. I visited your beautiful lake and, you know, read the plaque and, and all of that. And it's a, it's a great place to, to be. Peachland, right? We've got to assume one of two things. Uh, if there are monsters in this many lakes, either people make up stories about lakes as a normal course of events worldwide, not just here, mm-hmm. or there really are monsters in lakes. Yep, and, and it's, could be a combination of both. You, Lake Okanagan and um, Lake Champlain, Loch Ness, are very, very deep lakes. Uh, Loch Ness may be over 400 feet deep. And so the reports from some of those lakes are much more substantial than some of the shallow, shallow lakes that you get uh, people turning big fish into monsters. All right. Well, then that that makes me uh, ask a question. Sure. Uh, Recently, I have done a number of shows on what appear to be endless holes in the ground. The Northwest is replete with them. They're all over the place. I've got a picture of one on my website. Holes that go so deep that nobody can uh, measure them. Now, maybe it sounds a little weird, but is it not possible that there would be creatures that would uh, inhabit these holes more or less as a natural habitat that occasionally might come on up. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, I've run across reports from Indiana and Kentucky of these deep holes with uh, strange creatures in them, sometimes with, uh, with claws and different things, you know, almost like lobster-like uh, animals, yeah. kind of big ones. But, uh, yeah. I, I, some of the people who have done research over in Loch Ness feel that there's an underwater uh, tunnel between Loch Ness and the ocean. And uh, there's all kinds of possibilities. And sure, sure, those things probably have... Well, we are now discovering that at the very deepest parts of our ocean, where there is volcanic venting, there is life, which seems to say that wherever there is an environment, no matter how harsh it may seem to be, somehow there is some kind of life that adapts to it and thrives in it. Yeah, nature will find a way. Uh, precisely. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Good morning. Uh, yeah, Art, this is O.J. I'm a truck driver. Where are you? I'm near uh, Carthage, Missouri right now. Okay. Uh, about a year ago, somebody faxed you about uh, finding an old trunk, and there was a bunch of newspapers in it from the 20s or 30s. Yes. And they had found an Indian burial ground in the Wisconsin or Minnesota, somewhere up there. And amongst the, uh, when they were digging it up, they found skeletons that were eight, nine feet tall. That's right. You recall that? I do, yes, of course. Did you ever hear any more from them, uh, people? Nary another word. How about the doctor? Does he know anything about that? Um, there's, there's quite a few stories from the turn of the century about, uh, giant skeletons being found in Minnesota, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, all the way over to Greenland. And, uh, we're trying to dig up some of these stories because it would be great to backtrack and find some of these bones because uh, they seem to fit right in with uh, the Bigfoot picture. Mm. Doctor, have you? Uh, do you have any books that you have written? Me? Yes, yeah. you have two, right? No, I have about eight. You have about in that eight, area, and then I've books? got eight others in the human service area. But Mysterious America, Curious Encounters, Tom Slick, and the Search for the Yeti. Um, 
this book coming out in April of 1999 with uh, Patrick Weech, a science writer from Omni. Um, it doesn't have a title yet, but it's going to look at the international Bigfoot picture uh, around the world. Are these generally available, uh, the ones that are already out, uh, are they in um, circulation now, bookstores? That kind well, of- Faber and Faber in Boston may have a few copies, but most of them are out of print and found in old bookstores or, you know, different places like that. Uh, what about if somebody wants to get hold of you? Do you have a website? Do you have an email address? Yeah, email address would be great. Um, okay. It's um, L-Z-O-L-E-M-A. Well, it was slower. Do that again, sure. please. L- L, and then the first part of my name, Coleman without the N on it. C-O-L-E-M-A, and then the numeral one. Yes. At Maine, like the state with the E on the end of it, so maine.rr.com. And also, I'm I'm in most search um, engines. L, uh, C-O-L-E-M-A, one, at maine.rr.com. RR.com. Right. All right. Uh, there are many people, I'm sure, who will want to communicate with you about much of what you've said tonight and ask you questions and so forth. So that is the way uh, to do it, folks. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, one, one more. I think we have time for one okay. more. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Lauren Coleman. Hello. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Where are you? I'm in uh, Orlando, Florida. Okay, you're going to have to yell at us. You're not too loud. Can you hear me better now? Yes, oh, yeah. much. Okay, uh, good. Uh, I have a question. Back in the mid-50s, I recall as a child, there was a discovery out on either the San Nicolas Islands or uh, on uh, Catalina Island. And uh, they discovered a lead coffin there with uh, bodies in there. And I think the one was 10 or 12 foot tall, well-preserved. Do you recall that? I've not heard of that one at all. Uh, a friend of mine told, reiterated that same story to me. He was from the same area, and we were talking about that just the other day. I was just curious if you'd heard of A lead coffin? It was a lead-lined coffin. Hmm. You wouldn't even want to consider what would have to be buried in a lead-lined coffin. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought maybe he might have heard something about it. Uh, good story. Uh, thank for, you. Yes, thank you. All right, any final words for um, all the people out there who probably say this guy's a crackpot? Uh, well, I think the evidence speaks for itself, and and uh, we're turning up, you know, 10 to uh, 20 new mammals a year, and we have to just keep looking. I appreciate your being here. I appreciate your um, expert uh, testimony, Lauren, and we'll have you back because we're always bumping into new weird things here. Great art. It's been fun. Take care, my friend. Take care. All right. That's Lauren Coleman, who is a leading cryptozoologist uh, in the whole world. And so I suppose if you want to say, as uh, many will, well, boy, he was a crackpot, go ahead. But he's a scientist, and you just heard it uh, from his own mouth. Well, that's it. Uh, In some markets, we've got an hour of uh, open lines ahead. In others, nighty-night. This is Coast to Coast AM.